Good morning. Merry Christmas Eve, Eve. Um, today we're going to be having a similar study, pretty similar to what we did last year. Emmanuel, God with us. Because just the fact that God is with us was heavy on my heart these past few days. Um, but to start off, I want to remember what it was like on that first Christmas. Um, maybe next year we'll look in depth at the first Christmas, but really just want to think and, and simply consider what it was like uh, that morning. And so we're going to read in Luke chapter 2, and it says, And it came to pass in those days uh, that Caesar Augustus, uh, that, excuse me, I lost my place here, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The Bible says this so simply and we could dig in and consider just how hard it was for them to go back, that there was no room for them in the end. You know, he should have had family there, but perhaps because it, was, it seemed scandalous to everyone what was going on, um, they didn't have a place to stay. Verse 8 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. That God appeared to those shepherds despite... Mary and Joseph being alone and in the manger and no one else knowing that the Savior of the world had been born. It was a quiet night, a holy night, like the song says. And God appeared to shepherds, the lowliest of lows, those who were out working, who were smelly, who were kind of despised and looked down upon. He appeared to them because they were ready for the message. They were ready to hear. And in Matthew, it says, uh, this is before Jesus was born, when uh, an angel, uh, and God appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him that uh, he needed to uh, marry Mary. 
And uh, it says, So it also is done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You know, Christmas is the day of celebrating Jesus' birth. Adelis, a day that we celebrate that God came to us. And that's what Christmas is about. It's not necessarily about a cute little baby in a manger. Well, I'm sure he was. It's not about the nativity scene that we see that incorrectly shows the wise men there the first night. You know, they had booked their tickets to uh, Bethlehem in advance. No, they get there a few years later. Um, but really that God was with us. That in this little child was the Son of God. And do we know that God has come at all? Have we forgotten that Jesus Christ, that God himself, walked on the earth, died on a cross, and went to heaven promising to come again, and that his spirit is here today? Do we know that we couldn't have the things that we have? We couldn't have the freedom in Jesus. We couldn't have church. We couldn't have his spirit inside of us if he hadn't came. We couldn't have life. We wouldn't have true love. We'd still be under a law and a burden that none of us could bear. We know that God has come and to you personally, a lot of us think, you know, yeah, Jesus came on earth. Yeah, he was there, but we haven't yet realized that he's come to us and come for us. I think sometimes even when we realize that he has come to us and come for us, we don't realize that he just wants to be with us. We still think that we have to live by a set of rules and standards and guidelines to match up to some standard of a distant God. That while he came for us and died for us and loved us and was born in a manger, that somehow he's indifferent towards us. But that is not the case. But that he's come to be with us. He's come to have a relationship with us. And that's hard to fathom, hard to understand. And I think sometimes it's because of our sin. We haven't laid down our sin and maybe just the consequences of it. And why would God want to spend time with us? Well, I don't know that we'll ever know why, because that's love. I don't always know why my wife loves me, but she does. And I just accept it, because that's a miracle. And I need that. But that's evident throughout all the scripture. We see these things called Christophanies and Theophanies, where we see pictures in the Old Testament before Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem that night around 2018 or so years ago, 2014 years, he was there. In Genesis 2 and 3, he was in Eden, planting a garden, making man, walking daily with them, driving them out when they were disobedient as well, and yet promising to go with them, covering them. Genesis 16, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, their Egyptian handmaid, you read that recently. Genesis 18 to Abraham and Sarai, but also to look at Sodom and to come down and see for himself how bad they were. That his judgment wouldn't be an unjust judgment, but that he would have been there. Genesis 11 came down to see Babel misbehaving. I'm noticing a theme here. You know, maybe you think of your parents as just those who showed up when you're disobedient. I hope to have a relationship with my kids that's more than me just showing up when they're being disobedient. Genesis 14, Melchizedek, when uh, Abraham rescues Lot, this king and priest of Salem comes out, and Abraham pays him tithes, and a lot of people believe this could have been a Christophany. Genesis 32, God wrestles with Jacob, 
and touches his hip. He wrestles with him all night. God, God doesn't have to wrestle with anybody. But Joshua he shows up as a soldier, you know, saying, are you, basically, are you with me, Joshua? Not am I with you, but are you with me? Exodus 3.2, Moses in the burning bush. God is showing up everywhere. He's not some absentee landlord, as it's been said. He's not just some made-up religion. He's a being, a holy being. The list goes on. Saul, the one who was murdering Christians, Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and kind of pushes him off his horse and says, get up, come with me. And says, I've got something better for you. Or John on Patmos when he takes him up and shows him all the things that were to be after these things, the time that we are living in and about the world is about to go through. But God has always been interested in people. And sometimes we forget that, I think. I think we remember that he made us, but he didn't just make us because it was on his list of things to do Monday morning. You know, it was, it was probably Friday, and he was happy to make us. <laughs> but sincerely, he's interested in us, and that's why he made us. I know that's a bit of a, a paradox there. You know, he made us because he loves us. He loves us because he made us. But truly, he wants us to be his people, that's the way he made us originally. We're, we're to be his people in his garden, walking with him in the cool of the day, enjoying creation, going about taking care of the garden, and yet having a relationship with the one who made us, that our life would be with him. And not some blind, cult-like chanting towards him, but, man, really knowing him, really loving him, and really being loved by him. Because we are not an afterthought to him. We are not some unwanted stepchild. We are not an accident. No matter what your parents think or did, you are not an accident. He thought about you before the foundations of the earth, and he knew one day that he would be born to be with you. And he always intended to be with us. Deuteronomy 32, 9-12, uh, he talks about, he kept them as the apple of his eye in the wilderness. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovering over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. That uh, Man, God doesn't want us to be dependent on anyone else but him. When we go through things, he is the one who wants to be with us. You know, uh, when we suffer trial and death, it's hard. And it's supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy because it's never, never was supposed to happen in the first place. And so if it was never supposed to happen in the first place, how are we expected to make it through those hard times without hanging on to the one that we were made to hang on to? We were made to hang on to him in a garden, in a perfect place. So how much more do we need to hang on to him and let him be with us in this hard place? When we don't realize God is with us or know Him, I believe we tend to cling to other things to keep with us. Maybe it's that rosary or even a cross necklace. Maybe it's a picture or a statue or an idol or even the law or just trying to be a good person. I think perhaps that's why even as believers, we're afraid to go to new places sometimes to speak to that new person or that person at work. Even if God is leading us, why? I think because we're truly afraid that God is not with us. And yet Romans says that in 8.28-32 that we know all things work together for good 
to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, when he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, those, these he also glorified. What shall we say then of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Why? Because in verse 32 it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God is with us because of Jesus. We may not feel worthy. We may not seem like he is. And it may be dark and difficult. You know, my kids are watching this thing about Perpetua and these people who were martyred in the old days. And they were killed by wild animals. And some might think God was not with them. But he was with them. And it may not seem like God is with you. and may be a mountain lion bearing down on you. But God is with you. Why? Because all we have to do is step back and remember that he was born and that he died. And if he was born and died and rose again for us, then he knows what's going on. He cares about what's happened. And maybe he's letting these things happen for our good, that we might be an example to others, that we might get to get out of this life and go home to heaven. And yeah, those last five minutes are going to be horrifying and terrifying, but that's it. Five minutes of awful agony or 80 years of torturous, treacherous sin. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's a hard one to, to swallow right there. But Jesus says in John 14, 16 through 20, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, and I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, and you will live also. And that day you will know that I am my Father, in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That he's with us. He's inside of us. We don't need an external sign. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was given as a guarantee of our salvation. If you're a believer, he is with you. He is with you. Don't leave him. Don't leave and turn away to something else when you don't see him. Wait. Let him be him. Let him be your father and handle things. That's been a big comfort to me past couple years moving, even just trying to find a house to live in in different states and just going, all right, Lord, well, you're my dad and you're with me, so I'm not going to fret when I go to meet with these people. I'm just going to go and talk with them and let you work it out like you're my father and you're the one there taking care of business for me. And I just get to hang out and look and see what you're going to do. And I think sometimes we forget that. We try and take it in our own hands. And we run around and we scurry and we grab and we clutch and we deal and we uh, steal. And we end up going, why do I have this thing now? Now you're stuck with something else that you're never meant to carry and hang on to. If you just let God be God and be with you. But if he gave us the comforter of the Holy Spirit, are we comforted in him? Are we found in him, in him, in us? Do we let God be the comfort that we need? Because he wants to be. You know, at Christmas we write these lists of all these things that we need and want. And man, you know, just sitting down and considering these things. I go, I don't, we've got a room full of gifts. And I'm glad we have a room full of gifts, especially for the kids. 
Um, and I'm glad they have them, but you know, I don't, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. There's times of the year I think, man, I really need this. When we were doing all those leaves, I'm like, man, I really need a giant vacuum, <laughs> a giant lawnmower to suck all this up. And you know, I'll probably go out and get a lawn tractor this year because I could use it. But, you know, I didn't get myself into debt just trying to get one right away because it was a perceived need. I waited. But, man, Christmas is like, I've got my family. We've got to pray for those who don't have their family this Christmas or their family is sick. Please comfort them, we pray. But God, we ask that, uh, that you would help us find everything we need in you because you are with us and we don't need anything else. And God, if you're, uh, if you're with us, God, who can be against us, God? So we ask that you would just help us this Christmas. Lord. Thank you, God. Love you. But if God's with us and he's in us, are we found in him? It's a, a two-way street. He's with us and Maybe we're not in him and we're grieving him. Um, let's not do that on his birthday this year. But what more do we really need? When we really sit back and consider, especially in America, where I know there are people who are in great need, but I think the vast majority of us, even if we think we have needs, they're really, you know, as we joke and say, it's kind of morbid, but we say first world problems. It, it's kind of true. You know, you consider what the believers in China are going through where people or poor or lost or hungry or going through and I don't know we're just upset because we can't buy that new smartphone or you know we can't buy brand name food this week I don't know what it is and Jesus that's the why Jesus says this in Matthew 6 25 34 therefore I say to you do not worry about your life I'm not trying to make a downer message but I'm trying to bring some reality here I think the Lord would have us realize especially at Christmas in our culture that We've got everything we need in him. He says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they are neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you of not more value than they? And I think that's the big, biggest problem this day and age. We don't value life anymore, and we don't see value in our own lives anymore. And not in a puffed-up personal way, but man... Everyone has value. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? You know, clothing wears out so quick. And even if it doesn't wear out, it goes out of fashion so, so quick. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. You know, we have so many burn piles around here. Uh, we just don't do it in the summer, but in the, you know, in the fall when it begins to rain again, you gather up all this stuff and you begin to burn it and get rid of it. And it comes back every year. And God cares about these things that we cut down every year. How much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry. You know, worrying is an absence of faith. And if you're worrying, that's okay. But give it to God that he might replace it with faith. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek or the unbelievers seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. God knows he needs them because he's with us. He sees what we need. I see what my kids need all the time. But Jesus finished up and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day's own trouble. God knows that today he's got enough problems because he lived every day. He knows how much problems Monday can bring, so don't worry about it on a Sunday. Thankfully, I don't think many of us would have to worry about Monday tomorrow because it's Christmas Eve and most people have off for at least a half day unless you work in retail. If that's the case, God bless you. But we tend to worry about so much in our day and age. Just everything you read everywhere is worry, worry, worry. Worry that the world is going to flood again. Worry of, you know, uh, offending someone. Worry of... North Korea or Iran and all these things, and some of them are valid. But I believe Christmas turned into how much we can get to try and satiate our worry, to try and drink our troubles away, so to speak, with with consumerism. And I'm you know, I'm all for capitalism. Work hard and you make money, that's good. But sincerely, life is not about the things we can get, or even the things we think we need. Or maybe they're just the things we want. Life is about more than that. It's about living. It's about relationships. It's about family. It's about God. You know, you look at the decline of Black Friday when, you know, people, it was all about, you know, you go out and get Christmas presents. So Black Friday became a big shopping day and a big sale day in the West because people were off after Thanksgiving in America. And over the years, it became, okay, get a better deal, get a better deal, get a better deal, and it got crazier and crazier. And now, really, when people go Black Friday shopping, usually it's, well, let me see if I can get a deal on a TV for me. <laughs> this is my speaking. I don't do much Black Friday shopping because I don't like to go out. I just uh, look for deals. But sincerely, I don't know. And maybe that's just me. Maybe you're so selfless, but um, I don't know. Christmas itself being erased with some generic winter holiday about getting, you know, it's funny, even uh, being down here, you say Merry Christmas, people say Merry Christmas, but you drive, travel an hour up to the big city, and I said Merry Christmas to a bunch of people in Walmart, and different people, young people, old people, and just got like nods, or happy holidays, or just, people are afraid to say it, or don't want to say it. Uh, one even told me that he was getting ready to celebrate the solstice. <laughs> okay, are you are you really? Uh, is, is that really it? Okay, well, at least you're being honest. If you want to celebrate the solstice, go off for it, you know. Whoop-de-doo, the sun's going to start coming up a little earlier, staying up a little bit later, if that's where you're going to celebrate. And that's, okay, that's nice to know. I'm, I'm happy, too, that the sun is coming up earlier. But it's not the greatest thing. And, in fact, we've erased this holiday, and it's become a holiday about getting and instead, Christmas is supposed to be about giving. But I think even at its heart, Christmas isn't even about us giving. It's about us receiving. That God would be with us. And yes, they brought gifts and they, they came to worship Him. And that's what we need to do. But they did that in response to receiving what God had given them. Because when we remove God from the things that we do, whether it's Christmas, whether it's church, whether it's prayer in schools, it becomes just us alone by ourselves and things begin to deteriorate. It's interesting that uh, talking about uh, the prophecy of the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, 
It comes during the time of uh, Ahaz and Isaiah, when Ahaz was king of Judah and Israel was under siege. Moreover, the, lo the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord, in Isaiah 7.10, uh, from your Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I'm not going to test the Lord. Then he, said, then he said, Hear now, house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? Will you will weary my God? Also, look, God wants you to ask him. God wants you to come to him because God's got a great message for you. So don't let your troubles and trials prevent you from coming to him. And therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. This has nothing to do with the invasion force and the battle going on. What is this, God? God is telling you, I'm with you. And in a, in a long way, he's saying, you're going to win this battle because you're going to survive till the day when the Messiah comes. That uh, Isaiah, sure, you'll pass away. Ahaz, you'll be dead. But the nation will make it to the point where the, the Messiah comes. And how often is that? That we face a battle and a hard time in life and we think that the whole future is destroyed. And yeah, it looks like a big problem in front of us. But really, God's going, you're going to get through this. You're going to get past this. And there's plenty more to come. You know, we talked about in Matthew when God promised Joseph. I mean, can you imagine that? You're you're a good you're a good guy, so to speak. You love God, you try and worship him in, in the way that you can in Judaism before Jesus. You're being uh, obedient to the scriptures and you uh, meet a young lady and you're betrothed to be married. And you love her very, very much. And you believe she loves you. And then one day you find out that she's pregnant. And she says that God did it. Well, you love her. And the law says that she's kind of in trouble and could face some certain penalties and at the very least face a lot of shame. And so you say, oh man, I'm just going to put her away quietly. I'm just going to cancel the wedding and the marriage. And oh man. Hopefully, this won't backfire and we can just move on with our lives. And You're heartbroken, but there's nothing you can do about it. And You're about to do this, and, and God gives you a dream and comforts you. and says, Joseph, she's pregnant from me. She's having the Son of God, and you're going to name him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It's okay. Go and marry her. It's okay. You know, I think Joseph loved God because if I had that dream, I would say, Man, that pepperoni tombstone pizza I had yesterday really got to me. I am not going to marry this person. They are pregnant. Pregnant. God might say to me, you have little faith. Joseph had faith to do that. But Emmanuel means God with us, and Jesus means uh, Yahweh is salvation. Because God wanted to be with us, to be our salvation. He wouldn't just send a check in the mail. He, and I'm grateful for that when that happens in life. But man, for salvation, God's like... I, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do more and show up. I'm going to give them my son. But can you imagine being the parents of Jesus? This little baby you have is a cute little baby and a wonderful little baby. But they're God. And you don't know how it's going to play out or what's going to happen. I think it's why Mary hit it all in her heart because she really had to consider it. She, did, she, she was humble enough and wise enough to know that she did not get it all. And she was just going to hold on to her heart and wait and see what God was going to do and cherish this little baby boy. 
But he had to be with us to free us. And we see pictures of that with like Moses and Joshua and other leaders of Israel. That God wasn't content just to wipe out Pharaoh, but he sent Moses to be his uh, emissary to actually lead them out and go in the wilderness. Even when they were in the wilderness, God was with them in that pillar of fire uh, by night and smoke by day. Because the best leaders are with the people, are from the people, are of the people. I've heard the best generals are the ones who served on the front lines, not just the people who were uh, educated somewhere. I'm grateful. I didn't go to seminary. I prayed about a lot of things early on getting saved, about going back to college or going to Bible college. And God just kept leading me to keep serving and keep doing. And and it's been called the, the school of Moses. And sure, I don't know as much doctrine as people who are schooled. I hope and I learn more and I try and learn more. But sincerely, I don't want to learn more if I'm not learning him, if I'm not coming to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus through the scriptures, not know the scriptures, just to be some intellectual. And I'm glad there are people out there who are highly intellectual, guys like Ravi Zacharias and others who are super smart in the scriptures and have the ability to do those things. And that's their calling. But we need to each be part of the body and not try and be someone else, but be the one that God wants us to be with us, with us. And as he leads us, we need to go with him. But the point was always to bring us back into a relationship with him because it's not about the doctrine, so to speak, although right doctrine is essential to really know who he is. If we don't know what the Bible says and we don't know it accurately, we're not going to know accurately who God is. And we may begin to to believe in a false God. Someone might come to our door nicely dressed with an iPad and say, I want to share a Bible verse with you. Oh, really? Well, who are you with? And what do you really believe? Because they may say the name of Jesus, but they haven't really searched the scriptures to know who he is. They rely on uh, a book of lies to tell them about God, and it condemns them. And they can be freed from that. But it's not about just living a right lifestyle either. Although living rightly shows that we know who he really is. It's an evidence Doing it in and of itself, apart from him, has no value in our life other than perhaps uh, carnal blessings throughout our, our physical life. But it's really about knowing him personally through the scriptures with an open heart and a changed life. And a change because God, who we used to not be with, is now with us. I used to be able to go out and do anything I want, say whatever I want, and you know, and I would hold my tongue for my own well-being or not to make myself feel better. But as soon as Jesus Christ came into my life, I just couldn't do those things anymore. It wasn't because I'm a better person and I've decided to change. It's because Jesus Christ is with me and in me. And I can't go do that with Jesus with me. I can't look at that anymore with Jesus with me. I, who could do that? You know, there's that old saying, Jesus is watching. And we mock it because it's, there's that he's watching like some big brother character. But he's not. If you know him, he's with you. He's, he's love you. And, and even if you don't know him, the Bible says that he's right next to you, whispering to you, hey, that's wrong, that's sin. Come to me, turn to me, you're dying. Because it's not about who we were, who we are. It's about who we used to not be with and who is with us now. You know, when a baby is born, we welcome them into our family, right? We're expecting in June and we can't wait to welcome them uh, we've already announced it and told friends and the kids know and we're excited. But when Jesus was born, God became part of the human family. Those he created, he condescended to, to be with. And I know there's a, a large thing there. We could get into a, a 
philosophical discussion about being outside the time domain and uh, you know being born then and then a Christophany before or he's got human you know there's this whole thing there but the point is is that he taught he walked with us and he talked with us and 2,000 years ago he was born on earth and that's a miracle I think sometimes we take Christmas for granted that it's not a miracle but it's a miracle God was born this doesn't happen every day guys this happens once in all of history and a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. The healing miracles described in the Gospels, you know, when Jesus healed the blind. An extremely outstanding or unusual event, thing or accomplishment. The bridge is a miracle of engineering. I just read that they just replaced that Tappan Zee Bridge in New York, close to where we used to live. And they replaced it with the Cuomo Bridge. And of course, it's related to Cuomo, so if you're political, it's failing. But apparently there are all these bolts in it that didn't meet up the spec and there's this cover up and all these things that go on with it. But man, a lot of things we look at in life, oh, that's a miracle of engineering. But when you get close, you realize that's a miracle. That's a failure. That's a, a grandiose experiment that has, that has failed time and time again. But the closer we get to the miracle of Jesus, the closer we get to that day of him being born and living that life, the closer we see, the closer we inspect the more we see that it is a miracle through and through, that it only could have been divine intervention. Look at the wedding in Cana with the water to wine. When he healed the paralytic, he forgave his sins first. Now that was the real miracle God was trying to point out. Not that this man can now walk, which is fantastic and good for him, but it would only have lasted the 70 or 80 years if he lived that long. But that the forgiving of his sins was the most important miracle. And that was the true miracle of, that God wanted to be here to perform. He brought a little girl back to life, raised Lazarus back from the dead. Like John says, there's too much to write down. But there's also another miracle. Uh, John 3, 3 through 8. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but the Spirit, but cannot tell, excuse me, where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone was born of the Spirit. That when Jesus was born, the whole point of his birth is that we might receive a spiritual birth that we might be born again. And people will mock that term, but truly, you must be born again. Your life must be born with God in you again and welcomed into God's family. He came into our family that we might be welcomed into his. It's like when you get married, you welcome my wife into my family. And she's welcomed me into hers as well, and I love it. It's fantastic. And you know what? No matter what we've done, where we've gone, who we've been with, how good or bad we've been, no naughty or nice list, we are welcome with God only because of Jesus. It doesn't matter if Santa says you're good this year, uh, right? Yeah, right? It matters if God says you're good. And God will only say you're good because of Jesus. Why? Because he's with us. If we come in strolling into heaven with Jesus, God's not going to kick us out. We're with Jesus. We try and get in on our own. Well, there's no way in on our own. He's the gate. He's the door. Romans talks about nothing can nothing can separate us 
And also Romans talks about when we were without strength, Jesus died with us while we were yet sinners. He was born before we were born, thousands of years. He died thousands of years before we were born that we might be saved. We might be brought back, reconciled to God. That we also may rejoice in God. That it's not just we're made whole and, and brought to Him, but that we rejoice like those shepherds. Oh, shepherds, why this jubilee? Well, God appeared to us. God is with us. How can we not sing? How can we not glorify Him? And I'm afraid that uh, this Christmas, there's not much joy in jubilee apart from the gifts. And we need to have joy in jubilee because God is with us. I hope that in the next couple of days that, that we rejoice in that, we have peace in that. We're not scrambling and running around to make a holiday perfect. That we would just let the perfectness of the holiday, so to speak, get to us. And give us peace and remember and slow down that this next year coming, we may remember that God is with us because He wanted nothing more than to be with us. And all these times in the Bible, even the 33 years that Jesus was on earth, was just a visit. It was just a visit. But the point was that he visited that he might come permanently. Just like when before we moved out here, I visited a couple of times. I came out here to, to spy out the land and really just have a vacation and see if the Lord, if this was really where the Lord was calling us. So if it wasn't, I could just get it out of my system and, you know, get rid of it and have the Lord rebuke me. But he didn't. He told me that this is where our home would be. This is where he was calling us. And so I came again and looked for a house. And God provided a place for us to live. And that's the same thing that when God came, he came to, to get us. He came to reach us, to get us to come back with him permanently into heaven. Because that's the ultimate goal. It's not that even we would spend our time in life with him, but that we would spend our time after life with him. It would be Christmas forever in heaven. Gifts and rejoicing and feasting and celebrating and no more tears. Because God wants to be with you. But we have to let Him. Because if you know Him, whatever you're going through or will go through, He is with you. That's the gift of Christmas. That God is with us. But we need to look for Him. He's not under the tree. He was hanging on a tree. Allow Him to minister to you. There's nothing you've done that will keep Him away if you just look to Him. The sick Israelites and the woman just had to look upon that brass serpent when they were bitten. That's all we need to do is look for him. And guess what? We'll find him. Jesus says, if you look for me and search for me all your heart, you're going to find me. I'm not going to hide from you. Those Jehovah's Witness who looked for God at some point, but they got sidetracked and deceived and stuck in a cult, I guarantee if they keep looking, they'll find him. Because I've, I've known people who were in that, who realized this isn't right. This isn't real. And they kept looking. And you know what? They found Jesus. He cares for you. Even if you feel abandoned. Remember like the thief on the cross. He knew that the one next to him was a king. He said, remember me. Please don't abandon me here. Remember me. And he says, you'll be with me today in paradise. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to wrap anything up or live a good life or make sure that you know you don't have coal in your stocking next year. You just need to receive me. And that's Christmas. The simple act of receiving something that someone else gave to us. Something that perhaps, you know, maybe you have a rich relative and they give you stuff you can never pay them back for. 
you're thankful for it. And sometimes it's hard to receive it because you go, I can't, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I can't take it. I can't pay you back. I never wanted you to do this for me. But they do it anyway because they love you. And that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Christmas is about. That he was born and he knows what it's like to be a baby. He knows what it's like to have a dirty diaper. He knows what it's like, you know, to do all those little things. To, to scrape his knees. Because he wants to be with us. And God would do anything to be with us. And I would do anything to be with my children. Especially if they needed me. But God is with us. And let's remember that that is the true miracle of Christmas. That God is with us. It's the one miracle that we all need every day, all the time. Not just on Christmas or Christmas Eve, Eve. But that God is with us. And God, we pray that this Christmas we remember that you're with us. That God, every day we go forth knowing you're with us. There's a peace that comes in that, God. That passes all understanding. That we can even just go get lunch or go home and take it easy. Or when that thing breaks... Yeah, maybe we stress out and panic or we get that letter or that awful thing that happened to us. But when we do, we have a place to turn because we know that you're with us. And because we know you're with us, we can turn to you, God. So I pray that anyone listening would turn to you, even if it's their first time that they would receive what you've done for them on the cross, what you did for them in the manger. And God, you want them to be forgiven of their sin, that they confess that they're sinners and that, God, they need you that you're Lord, and they'll be forgiven. And like the thief on the cross, they can go to heaven today if they die. They don't have to live a perfect life. But God, if you choose to let them continue living, that they can know you and know how good it is that you're with them now and forevermore, God. So God, uh, speak to them, I pray. Speak to us, I pray. Let Christmas, thank you for all the gifts, but let it be about you. And let us think of you and worship you and come to your feet. We love you, Father. Come back soon. Thank you for all our friends and family. May you bless them this Christmas. And thank you for this jubilee. Uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.